We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And Lakers are 0-3 going into Wednesday's game against Denver. The main reason behind that 0-3 start is a historically poor start on the offensive end and some bad execution down the last five minutes of games. And if you want to listen to us talk about that a little more in depth, listen to one of our last two pods uh, in which we get into that. But as is true in basketball and life many times, multiple things can be true at the same time. One of the things that I said over the course of the offseason that I was looking at is one of my first kind of checkpoints is we have to build a credible defense. And the Lakers find themselves second in defensive rating in the NBA, which is quite a leap from last year. Also extraordinary in that they don't really have much in the way of forwards, which is exacerbated by the fact that they're one of their best ones. And Anthony Davis has played 100% of his minutes at the five spot. And yet the Lakers are defending really, really well. And so amidst this 0-3 start, I do see there is something to build off of, and that's our defense. And D, I'd like to start with our superstars. We talked a lot over the course of the offseason, in particular about LeBron and not asking too much out of him. But what I've seen is... He's been as big of a part uh, of the Lakers' defense as anyone with perhaps the exception of Anthony Davis. And so talk to me about those two. Let's start there in terms of this Lakers' defensive start and what you're seeing from the superstars. Well, I just think they're playing hard defensively, um, and they seem very much committed to what Darvin Ham has installed as their defensive scheme. There is a lot less backline action and a lot less like sinking and running back out and then dropping down with low man responsibilities in this sort of offense or defense, excuse me, the defense is geared to keep a big man and if possible, more than one big man around the painted area. So the Lakers are playing in deep drop coverages. They are inspiring a lot of mid range jumpers, jumpers that teams are hitting against them. Uh, early on in the season and we'll see if that normalizes or not or if we'll see if the Lakers start adjusting their scheme and start challenging those shots a little bit more 
Um, but they've been trying to keep the ball in front of them and they've been doing a pretty good job of that. And when you keep the ball in front of you and you play a lot of smaller players, then smaller players like to sort of sneak up on you from behind and poke the ball away or swarm you. Um, and the Lakers have been generating a lot of steals with late help, late switches, um, and just timely dig downs when guys try to drive um and get further with the bounce than what the Lakers really are allowing them to get to by playing the type of conservative defense they are. And it's interesting that the Lakers are forcing as many turnovers as they are because this really is a conservative style of of defense. They are not necessarily jumping a bunch of passing lanes. They are not pressuring high and trapping at the point of attack and sprinting out of rotations out of that. They are basically saying they're inviting guys to come into the painted area or the mid-range, shoot shots, um, and try to drive against length at the back line, right, where it's LeBron and AD a lot of times that, that are helping. And Mike, I'll kick it to you on the LeBron part of this because early on in the lead-up to the season, we were questioning about what the asks were going to look like for LeBron and whether or not he could be asked to take on the higher end defensive assignments, particularly on the wing. And um, through three games, I think it's been a mixed bag. He guarded Jeremy Grant a fair amount against Portland, but he also guarded Josh Hart a fair amount as well. Right. And so he's been taking on higher level defensive responsibilities in, in his individual matchups, some. But when he's not been doing that he's been super engaged defensively and I feel like he's been rotating well and he's really been active within the context of what the asks are particularly in going to the backboards so I'd love to sort of hear where your thoughts are on LeBron specifically because I think this is going to be a season-long conversation with LeBron in terms of what his level of defensive engagement is how hard he's playing on that side of the ball because it's no coincidence to me that the Lakers are ranked as high as they are now in part because LeBron is as committed as he has been. And when he is that committed, he's still a defensive force, in my opinion. Yeah, LeBron's, I think, met the expectation that I would have or that anybody should have for what he's bringing on that end of the floor. And that includes not being challenged with guarding the primary offensive threat on the wing every night, which he shouldn't be tasked with. But he can certainly slide over for possessions. And in fact, I was thinking about it ahead of these matchups coming up where the Lakers get Jokic and then they get Towns Gobert and then they get Jokic again, where especially with how they're playing right now and Bryant being hurt and Jones struggling some, you know, LeBron's going to have to have some time on those types of guys. And I think that that's he's basically I was asked on Spectrum, hey, what are the Lakers going to do in the minutes when Anthony Davis isn't on Jokic? And like, well, point one. Anthony Davis being on Jokic is better than any other player in the league being on Jokic. So that's a good thing. And then B, LeBron is the guy I think that can take some minutes on him uh, and and just even if it's five or six. So those to me, Pete, are still perfectly serviceable and it's working. I think Darvin Ham has that working within the flow of what the rest of the guys are doing. And of course, it all falls apart without Anthony Davis to me much more the extent than than LeBron. And that's why AD is the guy that gets the most credit for the Lakers defense being where it is in that he can't, you're not taking advantage of any big on a switch 
when Anthony Davis is your primary center, you're able to keep the ball in front of you, like Darius alluded to. And if LeBron is getting some of those minutes, but he's playing next to some athletic type wings, as opposed to last year where Carmelo was his small ball four, like when it's JTA and when it's Troy Brown and they're flying around and they're trying and they're switching and they're active, there's active Pete, then that protects him some as well. Amen. And, and that to me is kind of a key for, for, for one of the reasons why this lineup is good. And if you're two guys that are LeBron and AD, if they're engaged in the way that they have to be, then it's just very difficult to find an advantage uh, if you're the offense. That point you made about the other guys being able to defend the perimeter and just being a little more athletic and just better on the defensive end kind of leads me to one of my main observations with LeBron in particular is that we're asking him to be a big man defensively way more than ever. And that comes with these smaller lineups. He's been the primary backup five. And even in this type of defense that Darius was talking about earlier is when you are laying back like that, it is you're asking your two bigs, quote unquote, which in our instance are Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Functionally, that's the position they're playing. Uh, you're asking them to do more things around the basket and fewer things on the outside. So, for example, one of the things that we do because we're a smaller team is we'll front the post and then we make a low man rotation right there and we trap the ball. If there's like a size mismatch, right? And there's going to be that one of the reasons teams are going to post us up is because of that. In some ways, there's a certain amount of fool's gold that you're kind of the defense lures teams into those post ups like, oh, this guy has a height advantage over that guy. But that's not normally what they might be running. Right. And you kind of get a team out of their offense to a certain degree. And LeBron has been that guy where the thing that I noticed his anticipation defensively like has always been great but he's just like <laughs> he he's gotten some strips he's gotten so many strips down low this season so far that just that level of thinking ahead and being one step ahead in a defense that is less complex you were speaking to this as well d that like the reads are fairly simple uh He's he's just been remarkable at at making those and knowing where to be a half step uh, a half second a, a beat ahead of anyone else and has really been a, a help on that end. But it is all an- anchored by Anthony Davis and AD. We ha- he had a six block night. You mentioned in the last pod D about how at the end of the game him putting his hand in pockets a little bit more really changed kind of the nature of those minutes relative to the others. But all in all, Anthony Davis has been asked to be that drop five center field type of coverage, right? Which is very different for him. And so talk to me about that, D, about that, like that change to Anthony Davis as the full-time 100% minutes at center, drop back, classic big around the rim, because that's not he's how he's been defensively deployed much in the past, but he's been great at it so far. So before I do that, Pete, just to speak to what you were talking about in terms of the asks of LeBron and his positions, per cleaning the glass, LeBron hasn't played any minutes at small forward this season. That's right. Just like AD hasn't played any at the fourth. That's right. And so LeBron's played roughly like 78% of his minutes is what it's saying at power forward and 22% of his minutes at center. And so that goes to what you were saying about him being the primary backup. Damian Jones has gotten some minutes at center as well, but mostly in lineups where the Lakers really couldn't survive without enough size on the court. And and you needed, if he was going to play with LeBron, it was because the other team was playing a nominal power forward, right? Sure. That you couldn't get away guarding with a Russell Westbrook or 
a Matt Ryan or right. even a JTA, right? JTA is a competitive guy, but he's still like 6'5", right? So in transitioning here to AD, Mike, before the season, AD sort of spoke about adjusting to this more conservative style that Darwin has been asking of him, particularly as, as a center, and that he's used to playing up more and being more active at the point of attack, if not hedging and recovering, then just showing higher, being a disruptor, poking his hand in a little bit and just sort of allowing the guard who is getting screened, his teammate to recover more. And he's not doing that really much at all in this defensive scheme. He is playing well below the level of the ball. He is inviting driving in to him. And I think he's done a very good job of sort of navigating that middle space, that no man's land. I don't think we often give AD enough credit for his defensive acumen and his defensive feel. Very high IQ player, yeah. Well, just the level of like instincts that you need to have in order to operate in these middle parts of the defense where you're not connected to your own man because he has rolled behind you a little bit. And the guard is still like a good four or five feet in front of you. And you're kind of guarding no one, but you're guarding both players at the same time. Yeah, you have to give multiple players your attention. And if you give too much to one, it means you're not giving enough to the other. Maybe that's a lob at the rim. Or if you're not giving enough to the guy with the ball in his hands, it's an open 15 footer. And so that sort of this or that, though, that is part of what AD does. He's that guy I've always said that he's the guy that can take two things away. What you just described is one of those examples. Yeah. And, and so it's it's this ballet, right? But you have no partner. You're doing <laughs> it by yourself and you are just out there sort of operating on feel. And what exactly is in front of you? What is behind you? Where are your teammates? OK, now instinctively, I'm going to spring forward now and maybe force a rushed floater or I'm going to jab at that and then sink sink back and take away the lob, right? It's like, oh, you think I'm sinking back now, you're getting that shot up and now I'm blocking it, right? And um, the, a player who is a master at this is Draymond Green. And you see Draymond do mm-hmm. this and he gets a ton of credit for that. And one of the reasons he does is because he has to play that way. He's six foot six, right? And, and, and so he doesn't have all of those same physical tools in order to operate and make it look as easy as Anthony Davis can can make it look. And that's why, Mike, I don't think AD gets as much credit is because he is 6'11". He does have a massive wingspan. He he is just a bigger and more agile dude. And, and he's got all of these physical tools that are backing this, um, that are backing this natural instinct and ability that that he has. But he's been so good defensively, particularly in one-on-one matchups as well, where I feel like one of the, if there's a knock against AD, it's, it's that bigger dudes will try to go into his chest. They will try to sort of overpower him in ways because they know that as physical and as forceful as he can be on both sides of the ball, that's still not the part of his game that he wants to go to most often. And so Nurkic was trying to just bully him 
a bunch of times, just like, I'm just going to back in to you the same way that Nurkic backed down Damian Jones on several possessions. But AD has been standing guys up. He's been meeting them at the peak. He blocked a couple of Nurkic shots right out of his hand. And these are the types of plays that AD has been making more and more. And like Darvin said, post game, like um, a couple of games ago, I think this is the level that they're going to need from AD defensively every single night if they're going to be a competitive defensive team. And with him and LeBron, you have that back end level of play. And I'd love to transition soon, but I think we'll get to this too, like what that then opens up for the wing and how then it allows Mm -hmm. the wings to play defensively when this is the sort of effort level that your bigs are giving you. I think we're good on AD. You know, we all know how great he is defensively. And the issue is more that he's going to be able to stay on the floor. And to me, that's, that's where the Lakers defense gets jeopardized as staying in this range, because if they stay healthy and AD's out there, and especially if he's playing more center minutes and you have enough active try hard type role player guys, then the defense is going to be pretty good. I don't think it's going to be one or two in the league like it's been, but I think it can stay top 10 and that would be a massive improvement from last season. The name that I was thinking of was Patrick Beverly because he's a curious case just of one of the new guys that has traditionally been a plus in terms of defense and in terms of net rating. And guess what, right? The Lakers have struggled. They've lost three games, but guess who's up atop once again in net rating. And it's a weird combination of why, and I don't love studying the numbers too much in these cases, but Like, look at the contrast between him and Westbrook in some senses. So Russ's usage rate, even even with him having the ball a lot less, is still higher. It's like 21.5. Beverly's is 10.9. So in the Golden State game, and and certainly in the preseason, his usage was too high, and he was trying to do too much. But he has backed off that, and he has just moved the ball on. He's made the right quick reads. He's mostly just in the corner. And then he tries really hard on defense, and his energy is high. And that just works. That just wins. And and so his piece to the puzzle, his his defensive rating isn't actually that high. It's just that his offensive rating, like the runs that the, the big runs that the Lakers have gone on. And I think part of it, again, is because he's been staggered some more with Westbrook outside of the starting lineup is that he's just on there with some more of those responsible adult units around a LeBron or AD where the other guys do role player things. And as we mentioned last podcast, that is what seems to work the best. And, and so it's partly about defense. I'm sure, Pete, you've observed some specific defensive things about Beverly, but that's my zoomed out type view of why what he does works well and why it's already starting his defensive rating going or his net rating and all that going in the positive direction. I totally agree. Uh, let's talk to Pat Bev on the other side of the break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash wire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. So as Darius was describing earlier in the pod about kind of the nature of the back line of the defense kind of hanging back and protecting the rim, that increases the asks that you have on your wing players and your perimeter players. And Pat Bev is right at the top of that. Most teams run their offense through one of their guards. Some of them do with their three. You got your taller, your Lucas, your B.I.s, right? But the and but. Uh, Pat Bev is going to be on that guy most of the time. Now, there's one important exception that we saw in the Portland game, but uh, that in doing that, in hanging back, you're asking your guards to do a lot, to fight under screens, to fight over screens, to provide back pressure. Their whole, it's almost like playing a game of tag where they're chasing, because their big man, it's like a two-on-one. So someone's setting a screen for that guy. And then our big is a little more hung back, not all the way, especially playing guys like Steph and Dame. We came up more than we will against other teams. But it's that that game of tag where the guy is chasing around and by the time he gets a shot up, his job is to make you feel uncomfortable. And I think he does a tremendous job of that, of getting over screens, through them, under them, and just being a general pest. And that's something that also he had a mic'd up segment uh, the other day, I think in the Clippers game where he's coaching up everyone. He's bumping into JTA five different times, right? And But I think that that's part of like, having that ownership on the floor. Like I'm not going to be the only person out here that's doing this. And you see it in Alani Walker. Now you see it in coming out in these other guys as well. And so talk to me a bit D about that perimeter nastiness, right? Like that Pat Bev effect, I, I should say on the rest of the guys out front. No, I think you're 100% correct about the nature of this defense is asking the guards to always stay connected. Right. And, and so think of, Think of a planet and think of its moons, right? The moons are never going to be too far out of the gravitational pull of the planet. And that's how you want the defender to be, even while screens come up and try to knock you off and give that planet more space in order to generate those open looks. Like Pat Bev had a rough foul on Dame, shoot in a three, but he was trying to do exactly what you were talking about. They screen, like Portland does a really good job of screening really, really high for Dame. And it's because his range extends to 30 or 35 feet. And so if the big is too far below the level of the screen, they will set a screen 35 feet, feet out, like at the logo and Dame will walk into a 30 footer. Right. And and shoot that shot. Well, one of the things that Pat Bev does, and a lot of the Lakers guards are doing this this now because it really is the the technique is the screen comes and they start to look like an NFL pass rusher. They dip their shoulder mm-hmm. and they and they turn the corner 
coming around that that screen, they take a half a step back in order to dodge the screen. They dip their shoulder and then they loop and they loop around the screen. And one of the things that Pat Bev does great is when he dips his shoulder, he carries his momentum behind the ball handler. And when that ball handler feels like they're safe to shoot that jumper, he is coming behind to challenge that. He's gotten a couple blocks already this season doing that. And he fouled Dame the other night doing the same exact thing. But that's that nature of making the offensive player feel you. That's the it's it's that, oh, there he is again. And any distraction that you can put on a high level offensive player, right? That's going to aid in forcing that miss. And I think Pat Bevis has has been great at that. I've been really impressed with with Lonnie Walker doing that as well. JTA is good at this. Austin Reeves battles his tail off in order to try to do the same thing. And this is the harmony of perimeter defense and big man defense that is required within the Lakers scheme. And it truly only works, I think, when it's LeBron or AD that are the big in the center of the frame. I have mm-hmm. less. And this is where we could maybe speak to uh, Damian Jones a little bit and Thomas Bryant when when he comes back, because and and I think that this is to Mike's point that I'm not sure if the Lakers are going to be able to stay in the top two or three or oh, top sure. five of the league defensively because they're big men particularly when Bryant comes back, they're just not going to be as good at this. And Damian Jones has not been as good at this. He is not, he does not have that same feel that Anthony Davis has in terms of navigating that, that middle space, but the guards are doing their job. And one of the things that I've also been impressed with is how the weak side guard has really been doing a good job of showing in the middle of the court, and getting to the nail and, and and really showing that second line help defense and then sprinting back out in order to recover to contest shots or make sure that guys do not get off wide open threes. And that's that defensive intensity, Mike, that the Lakers have have been playing with. And and honestly, it's the level that they're going to need to continue to play with. Um whether or not their offense recovers or not. Like this is where the Lakers are going to be a defensive team. If they're going to be anything in this league, they're not going to flip from being a sub 100 offensive efficiency team to suddenly being a 110, 112 uh, points per 100 possessions offensive team, just because they start making a few more threes per night. Right. And their defense is, is going to have to carry them. So in saying that to you, Mike, how sustainable do you think some of this is, particularly with the effort that the guards are showing? Because the asks on the bigs are a little bit less, but the asks on the guards and the wings are very high. And do you think the influence of a Pat Bev or even an Austin Reeves and like the level at which these guys are competing, the JTAs, that that's going to carry forward to a month from now, six weeks from now, uh, eight weeks from now? I guess it gets back to the depth issue for me and with LeBron and AD and that there aren't guys that can approximate that uh, coming in. So with that said, just by inserting Troy Brown Jr. for Matt Ryan 
I think you get a bit more continuity in what you can do defensively. And that's a good thing. And if you have JTA there playing with Troy Brown, eventually you bring Dennis Schroeder in, uh, who can who can certainly play this style defensively uh, with pressure and with activity and with energy. Those are all things that he does well. And keeping the guy in front, you know, battling back, picking up. So I, I do think that there's some that the perimeter help is going to be consistent just because they have enough guys that can do it. But Mm -hmm. that's, it's still where I want one or two more wings, you know, of guys that can at least come close to replacing Pete, what LeBron and AD do. And I think that's where you start to run into some, to some trouble as the season progresses. And unless there's that one trade that we keep talking about that you can make. Yeah. That'll really fall off. If one of those guys get hurt, our defense will likely fall off probably more than our, than our offense will, uh, exactly because of that point. And that's one of the things I've had my eye on. We've talked about the bigs and then the guards, but I think the group that has the biggest ask on them is the wings. And so in that group, I'd say that's Russ, uh, JTA, Troy Brown. Am I missing anyone? That's it. Lonnie yep, that's, the <laughs> that's, that's part of the point, right? <laughs> and especially when you got a guy like AD Austin, playing like Austin Austin's a little a, bit, right? Ah, he's but a guard, it's just like, though. Like, well, I'm just saying though, like that's the point though of like guarding sure. up. They're asking, like you mentioned Russ there, and it's just like sure. Russ plays point guard, right? And so a lot of these guys are being asked to defend up where yep. they're most comfortable defending at their position or down. And it's the tricky part of this. So I guess my question for you guys then on, along those lines is so far, not necessarily projecting forward or anything. What have you seen about the wing position that like, how has that manifested that lack of wings so far? Like, what have you seen? Because for me, there was a position and I wish I could remember who he was battling with, but Troy Brown was trying to box out one of Portland's bigger guys and was fighting for his life. And he dragged him to the ground and he got a foul called for him. And he tried the absolute hardest he possibly could have to win that possession. It was Eubanks. Yeah, it was Eubanks. It was Eubanks. And Eubanks is just a bigger, stronger person by quite a bit. And that's the part of the game that I see the wings having the the hardest time with it's not so much the on ball like guy shoots over the top there's going to be some of that but it's been more just like that battle on the boards that's the thing i'm most concerned about d is that like if we're going to be a good defensive team if we're gonna like i think i think we can be better than number 10 i think we can be flirting with top five because we've got a lot of really good defenders we'd have to be healthy and i think we need to get you know some front court help but if we can't close out possessions with rebounds then that's very likely to be sustainable, very unlikely to be sustainable. And so talk to me about that, because that's the place I see most where like we need help on the wing is on the backboards more than anything. No, you're exactly right. And that's what I was going to say in terms of where where you think um, the biggest sort of challenges are for playing small. And this was a this goes back to the discussion that we had preseason about All right, well, this is the roster. What can you be and how can you be effective as a small defense? And you and you and me, Pete, we went back and forth a little bit and you you were just like, well, they can do this and they can do that. And those are the things that they have done. And they've been very good at it. Mm -hmm. And my counter was, well, I'm concerned about about all of the things where size actually comes into play 
and partic- and one of the places that that shows up most is on the backboards. And so that same scenario that you just laid laid out with Troy Brown battling Eubanks, there was a similar play against the Clippers. And it was Austin Reeves this time. And <laughs> right. he was trying to box out Zubots. And Good Zoo luck. just went right over the top of him and grabbed a rebound. And uh, and like you couldn't even see Austin until after Zoo had grabbed the ball and gone back to the middle, Mike. Yeah, the rebounding, though, is, to me, is just related to the whole LeBron and AD playing at the 4-5 and not having somebody whose kind of main job, a traditional big that's just going out there and with a combination either of size or of activity to go and just get a bunch of rebounds and finish possessions because you're asking Anthony Davis to do so much defensively mm-hmm. inside, outside. Yeah. Then you're also going to ask him to finish every possession by going to get the ball. It's just a huge ask yeah. that is unsustainable for the season, let alone the yeah. first couple of weeks of the season. So that's they're They're going to get in order to be this effective defensively, they're going to have to give up some of those rebounds because of that, because of just the, the sheer lack of having another additional larger body. So yeah. that's one point to me. Uh, and then I had a Darius, maybe jump in on that. And then I had I had one more larger picture question about Darvin Ham's defensive philosophies. I want to kick to you guys. There's a schematic thing at play here, too, right? Because AD is often challenging late when it, the type of defense the team is playing. You're inviting that guard to sort of come in. Mm-hmm. And AD is in that no man's land and he is having to recover back to a big man in order to try to box him out or to the ball. And he can't do everything. He can't be everywhere. Well, I'm just curious what you've seen so far. And Pete, maybe we could start from you with, we knew how Milwaukee played defensively. We knew that they had some different personnel, certainly with Lopez being the five and then Giannis who plays a little bit more like AD being the four. So it's things are going to be different there. But I just wondered what you've seen scheme wise, what's similar, what's a little bit different, uh, what works about it and where you think that Darwin's having his imprint on things. Yeah, it's so interesting to see very different personnel because Milwaukee's a big team across the board. And as we said many times here, this Lakers team is not. It's interesting to see the fusion of that scheme with this style. We, we'll get more into Darvin. I'm from the X's and O's standpoint and stuff like that. I'm so impressed with his ability to problem solve and kind of fuse because there's sometimes where you can have like that four three defense running a three four scheme or vice versa and there can be that mismatch but i think that the way that we've pressured the way that we've fronted the post like the the, the fronting the post is an example of one of the things like all right well we don't want to be smaller necessarily than the team across from us but we are and we need to go play good as good of defense as we can how do small teams play effectively he's checking all of those boxes right that fronting the post that pressuring the guard our stunting has been great we've gotten a lot of the steals like you've said d we're not jumping passing lanes we're getting strips we're getting high hands up on the ball the guy who's guarding the ball handler is getting deflections at the point of attack we're having guys from one pass away reach in and get a strip and knock the ball away. You've got AD hedging. And it, the, the one of the weaknesses of our defense is that we have Lonnie Walker on Damian Lillard in the end of a crunch time game, right? But through, and, and so that will play out and we'll talk more about that going along the line. Uh, but against those like great pull-up shooting guards, your Stephs, your Dames, those types of guys, AD's ability to come up is still there. And so he can come up and then recover back. He got a steal on a pocket pass where he hedged high and like, oh, 
I the pocket pass is available if the big hedge is high. Not with Anthony Davis. Not if he's on top of it and he gets the strip. We get out of transition uh, off of that. And so that application of 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 like protecting the rim that that Milwaukee type of scheme, but with the smaller players, D has been fascinating to watch. And I think he's nailed it so far on the defensive end. No, me as well. And. And, and so I know that we've offered a lot of praise this pod for a team that is 0-3, but they could easily be 2-1. And, and it's one of the reasons why I think we were so frustrated and, and sort yeah. of down the last couple of pods after, or the last pod especially. It took me a long time to get over last time, last night's game. When I woke up this morning is when I was like, all right, move on. I was hot yeah. yesterday. And it is, it is fair to point out too that the, you know, not countering Zubats and Nurkic essentially guarding Russ in crunch time like that was that was something that didn't work strategically Mm -hmm. and and we saw that so that does like that did result in the losses but overall I I, I'm with all that you said Pete oh we're strictly talking defense today again if you want to hear us lament the other stuff listen to the other pods and perhaps uh, ones later as well yeah I guess you're right I guess that's not technically defense yeah yeah Yeah. all right fair well I was going to say too that it's just like Darwin's a first-year coach and I think where where I don't want to call it in inexperience, but where your growing pains are going to show, like almost every coach is inclined towards a certain side of the ball. And what kind of player was Darvin Ham as mm. a player himself? Mm-hmm. Right. He was a gritty get after it, stayed in the league as long as he did as a defensive player. Right. And I think his inspiration towards his players is is on that side of the ball. And he's clearly shown also a trust towards the players who he envisions as who should be the best players on his team. And he's probably learning as he goes along the way of of how far that trust is going to go and what types of adjustments are needed within the context of that trust. And these are the things that you learned as as a head coach and, and as he goes goes along. I will say that overall I've been pretty happy with well with Darwin and He's been really good, I think, from the defensive perspective. And you don't build a defense that is playing as well as it has against some pretty good uh, or against offenses that project to be really good Mm -hmm. this season. And look, I just saw last night we were watching um, all of us were on the text thread and we were all watching Portland play against the Nuggets. Right. And Portland beat Denver. Just like they beat the Lakers down the stretch with elite shot making. And it's just like, well, for the most part, the Lakers were able to contest those shots better and stay connected to those guards better. And a lot of those guys didn't go off. Now, Dame did, but the other guys did not. Right. And I was looking at some of the shots that the um, that the Nuggets were were surrendering. And I was thinking to myself, well, the Lakers just weren't they weren't giving up these looks. That's right. Right. And. So I've been happy with what the Lakers have have been doing defensively. I think over the next week or so, we're going to get a better feel for what they're going to do offensively a little bit more, because I think that it's going to be pretty clear from watching the tape that adjustments are needed on that side of the ball. And I think it's tweaks both schematically and I think it's tweaks from a personnel standpoint as well. And so I think as we talk more and more over the next several days and as the Lakers play a few more games the rest of this week, that we'll have a little bit more to discuss, particularly on the offense, Mike. So a a final little point here to my last comment. 
if you think about it in the context of Darvin Ham, which is what he said after the game, that he put Russ back in more for the defensive continuity of what they were doing system wise. Mm-hmm. Pete, I guess that that is fair with the way that they were executing things. Now, on the other side of the court, that that probably got outweighed. And I think that will be something we'll see as the season goes on. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess it's fair to point that out and not just say, well, you know, why would you do that? And and that is he is he, they have been playing really well on one side of the court. And mm-hmm. he did think that that was something that was going to be sustainable there. So I, I guess I just wanted to mention that if I was going to be critical of the other end of the floor. <laughs> no, I'm, and I'm glad you did. Russ has been fantastic on the defensive end of the floor. It's just on the offensive end, it's been dysfunctional. And I think that's plain to see. Just to close out here, he did do that against Kawhi too. So it's just like he got two late game steals and very similar, like in the same stretch of the game that he got brought back in against the Blazers. And, and so I think your, to, to point that out, that's more than fair. It is what I would counter with is that he's not the only guy who can do that. And the other guys, the first guy that comes to mind is JTA. And then the other being Troy Brown, that distorts the offense less, right? And so that if that's what you're looking for, you can still get that at other places on the roster, even despite our lack of wings. That said, we still need we need one more guy. We need one forward that can do a couple of things. I think we could be a really high end defense. So 0-3, but if we have a foundation to build off of, it's this. Like Darius said earlier, we're going to be a defensive team this year and very excited with what I've seen so far on that end of the ball. Tomorrow, I think we're going to talk a little more about that uh, broken offense and preview the Denver game. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires, it's in, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Three seconds left, Van Exel to win it, it's on the way, good! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds, with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's, There's the move. Two. Listen. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes! And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. 
But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.